Okay, turn to Romans chapter 12 if you have a Bible, okay? And if you don't have a Bible, don't, listen, we're going to come down the aisles with Bibles. We're going to have a bunch of them. Just raise your hand and we'll give you one. Once you be able to follow along, I'm going to go to a few different scriptures and we're not going to have them on the screen. So raise your hand if you want a Bible. Don't be shy. It always takes just one person to finally man up. There, there she is. Good job, Tamara. Um, and so if you want a Bible, hand raise and go to Romans chapter 12, Okay. As you guys are turning, let me catch us up to speed a bit if you haven't been around. Um, we've been in Romans now for a little over a year, and that took us Romans 1, uh, chapters 1 through 11. And then we found as we got to chapter 12, there was a switch, kind of this, this, uh, this linchpin moment in what Paul is preaching to the Romans uh, in really his communication of, uh, of the gospel and then gospel application. So 1 through 11, we see a lot of the gospel, a lot of the backgrounds and the depths of the gospel, what it is, why we need it, what gets in the way, all that. And then we get into 12 through 16, the last uh, chapters of the book of Romans, and it gives us this very practical, there's another hand raised over here, interns, oh my gosh, just, just kidding, good job, Buster. Um, and... Uh, Shouldn't have made that joke. I already forget what I'm saying. So there's this, there's this transition, right? So 12 through 16 is now application, Okay. At the start of chapter 12, we get these two incredibly beautiful, robust, rich verses about how all of our lives are meant to be worship of God. Okay, so often when you show up to church on Sunday, you would say that the worship that we do happens for 15 to 20 minutes on the front end and 15 to 20 minutes on the back end. It's when our hands are raised, it's when singing's happening, it's when the band's up here. That's worship. Well, the Bible tells us that worship is a far more, more robust idea than that. In fact, that everything you do in life, every word that you say, every song that you sing, every act that you do, that is worship unto God if done unto him, okay? And so this launches us into this application part in Romans where now we're in the middle of an eight-week mini-series on love, on gospel-centered love. What does it mean for the one who loves Jesus to live out the implications of gospel-centered love to each other, to God, and to the world? That's where, that's where we're at. That's what we're doing. And so we've kind of jumped through these, these, different, these different ways and, and really with the understanding that if we do them, three things should happen. One, God should be glorified. Utmost importance. God would be glorified in the way that we love. Okay, second, that we would then walk in the freedom and joy that is available to us in relationship and righteousness with God. Okay, two. And then the third one, that the world may see. And we say this a lot, the world may see Jesus in us. So when they look at you individually, when they look at us corporately, they see the way we love one another, the way we love God, the way we love them, and they say, there's something there and I want it, what is it? Okay? And so those are the, those three things pushing us. And I tell you, the more I spend time with people in this city, in Arizona, in our world in general, the more I spend time with people, the more I just, they're craving it. And maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. You just came to check this out today. I always said someone just dragged you, said they'd give you free pizza. So you're like, all right. Whatever the reason, right? If you're, if you're here, that's your story. You're, you don't believe any of this yet. Give me 40 minutes, okay? Um, okay, if that's you, do you not just want to be loved, right? Is, is that not just part of the human condition to want to experience, to want to feel, to be able to give all of it, to be able to understand this idea of love? in a far more robust way than what we see in the world today. Um, my, my son, this is illustration number one, uh, my son Finley, and uh, he does this thing, and, and maybe this is all babies, I don't know, it's first one. Um, when we swaddle him, 
which is, if you don't know, if you, know, you wrap him in a, in, a, in a blanket or swaddle cloth or whatever, um, when, when, when he busts out of that thing, his arms go like this. I mean, they're just, and they're launching, and they're trying to grab, and it's just like, love me, please. I'm crying, you know, and so it's, it's this, it was this picture for me this week as I'm looking at this kid, and I'm like, chill out. Um, he's, he's just like, love me, like, hold me, embrace me. Like, from, from day one, the kid's four days old, and he already gets this. But I guarantee you that, that a lot of us operate in this very individualistic world where you think you're okay without people. Where you think you're okay without love. And what I'm saying to you is, whether you're here, Christian, not Christian, listen, love is it, it's just at the center of what we need deep down in our hearts. And, we're, and we'll see God is love, right? So it's really, we need God. That's the, so I just want to say, man, this, this stuff is important for us. If we seek to glorify God, experience the joy and love that comes from that relationship, and then to let the world know, man, this is true for you. This is possible for you. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, this is possible for you, okay? And so that's, that's the introduction. So today, um, we look at the fourth outworking of gospel-centered love from verse 11 that Stephen just read. It says this, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. And so it kind of gives us these, these three little parts again, an A, a B, and a C. And I want to start with C first, kind of 11C here, and, and go from there. So serve the Lord. This is, Paul does this, and you've seen it even over the last few weeks. He'll, he'll say, okay, this is the overarching idea, and here's supporting ideas about how this actually works itself out. And so that's, that's where we're going to go today. The overarching idea today is, is what does it mean for us to serve the Lord? It, it, for us to love people, there must be service unto God, unto Jesus, to be able to make that happen. And so um, he gives clarifiers to what this looks like. So serve the Lord, 11C is kind of the first part. And, and he, here's what's interesting about service is um, all of you are servants. And yet it, it's a weird word to use. Like sometimes in the church setting it makes sense. So my wife and I, we are at uh, a friend's uh, bridal reception, or what is it called after you get married? Yeah, reception. And, um, and, and I'm talking to this gal, and she's helping put away plates, and, and I was on crutches at a time, and she comes over, she grabs my plate, she throws it away. She's, okay, not a Christian, so hasn't been in the church world, doesn't understand the vernacular, and I go, thanks, you're such a servant. And she looks at me, and she's like, like and immediately you just saw her go like, did you just call me a servant? Like, I'm just as good as you, you know, like it, she didn't say that, but I mean, so in, in, in our context, right, maybe in, in the church world, this idea of, of you're a servant or service being a good thing, that, that makes sense, but I just want to say, man, it doesn't always translate. It, it doesn't always translate to the rest of the world, and I, and I dare say it's because we're not all that good at it. I, I would dare say that as the church and as Christians, as individuals, we're not really all that good at serving other people. We're not really all that good at serving God. We tend to be pretty focused on ourselves. And so I think that's probably why there's this big disconnect for why the world would look at us and say, well, why would I want to be that? That's not, that doesn't make sense. Why is service a good thing? I think the church, man, we're just, we're lacking. We're missing something in the midst of that. And so um, I think what Paul is doing for the Roman church and for us today is to reorient our minds even around a common idea. Because if you've been in church for, for any level, right, for, for any amount of time, you've heard, you need to serve God. Serve the Lord. Serve Jesus. But I dare say that we don't really work that out all that well. Maybe because we don't know how. 
And so I think Paul does for us today is help us, help us kind of get there, okay? Helps us kind of get there. And he's going to do it by juxtaposing or contrasting these two ideas, one slothful in zeal versus fervent in spirit. Okay, so if the overarching idea is we need to serve God, church, if you're a Christian, you need to serve God. If you want to love like Jesus loved, you need to serve God, then here's what we're going to do. We're going to contrast to be slothful in zeal, or we're going to contrast it uh, with being um, fervent in spirit. These are the the two options for us today. Okay, so um, 11a, do not be slothful in zeal. Let's do some terms. Slothful means to be slow, the appearance of lazy, okay? So, so not necessarily that cute little furry animal thing, right, the sloth, but what it does. Nate was telling me a story as a, as a teacher. He has a friend uh, that, that's teaching another class at his school, and, and he, uh, she was telling the kids, hey, I want you to do this, but I want you to do it the way a sloth would do it. And so all of a sudden, the kids, which, you know, if you've been around a bunch of, you know, 10-year-olds, they're insane. And so um, they said, do it like a sloth. And they all of a sudden slow down to this, you know, and kids just embellish. They're annoying. And so you just, they just kind of, you know what I mean? They're just like doing this just to be like, ah. And eventually she had to say, listen, okay, stop being like a sloth. You need to speed this sucker up, right? But what Paul is saying is like slothful. Listen, don't be lazy. Don't be slow to act. Okay. The next word is zeal. Okay, zeal. Um, I went right to Webster's for this one. And uh, eager desire and diligence in whatever you do. Eager desire and diligence. We, we would probably use zeal far less in our culture and use the word passion far more, right? Like be, so passion, right? And you guys, we all kind of get that. Like we have passion for something. I'm, I'm passionate about this. I'll sit down. I meet with a lot of you guys. We'll sit down and say, what are you, you, know, what are you into? What do you like? Well, I'm passionate about this. So this is the zeal that he talks about. So we bring it together. He says, do not be slothful in zeal. So in other words, you've got a zeal. You've got a passion. You've got somewhat of an affection or love for God. Do something about it. So it, it it's pretty simple. Don't be lazy with that. Okay, maybe, maybe you were raised up in this thing. I don't know what your story is, but if you have, there's that inkling, there's that affection, there's that passion for God, man, do something about it. Don't let it just sit. Cultivate that thing. Grow that thing. Paul addresses this in a couple chapters earlier when he's talking to the Jews. Okay, if you remember this in Romans chapter 10, he says this to them. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, the Jews, is that they may be saved. Verse two, for I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So the Jews had this passion for God, but it was based in all the wrong things. And then they found themselves settling instead of pursuing, okay? So two issues there. The, the one issue, right, that, that they were basing it on wrong things, they weren't basing on knowledge or the word there, it's truth. They weren't basing this on truth, what was right, what was real. That's problem one. Problem two is, <laughs> I mean, they were, I don't even know, I forgot. I've been awake for 80 hours. Whatever it was, it was good. I'll get back to it, I'm sure. It's in there somewhere. They were just missing it. I just know it. You look back at their story, and you see the way Paul talks about the Jews throughout the book of Romans, the way he talks about the Jews in other writings. He longed for them to know and to, to, to see Jesus, but they just missed him. They just missed Jesus, okay? Because they were too settled in what they already knew, and they stopped trying to learn more. There's the second one. 
They stop trying to learn more. And so I, man, I look, I hear that, and I think about the stories of so many of you guys that I sit down with. And, and listen, a lot of you guys, you incoming freshmen, and, and now you're, you're kind of detached from the parents, right? And so you're trying to figure out this whole faith thing, maybe on your own for the first time. I don't know. But man, this is going to be a question for you. What, what has your faith been based on? And are you going to continue to pursue and learn more? Or are you just going to rest on what you already know and, and honestly probably just kick this thing to the curb? I've seen this story over and over and over again. And this is from the 18-year-old to the 50-year-old. I mean, all the way to the, I mean, it does not matter from every walk of life this happens. We, we think we got this thing figured out, and so we stop moving forward. Paul's saying, don't, don't let that happen to you. I've seen it happen to so many people. Don't let that happen to you. Uh, cultivate, spend time with, engage with your faith, with your love for God. Engage in this area. Do not be slothful in your passion but cultivate it. Um, this week, so when we went into labor, it started at Tuesday morning at 9 a.m., okay? Verity finally gave birth Thursday morning at 4.40, okay? So it was about a 42 to 43-hour labor, okay? It was insane, <laughs> okay? Um, what was interesting for me is the amount of excitement that came maybe in, the, in, verses, in hours one through 10, right? You're just, you're just excited, and it's like, it's coming, it's happening. We're going to finally have this baby that's just been marinating for nine months, right? <laughs> this is going to happen, right? And then, and then hour 11 hits, and then 12, and then 13, and 20, and 25, and 30, and 35. And you begin to get through this, and I tell you, for every hour that passed, part of me would forget a little bit of that early joy. All that, early, all that early zeal and excitement was for this really beautiful, picturesque birth, right? Where, where we would show up, there'd be one or two pushes, we'd watch a movie, and then bam, baby, no crying. It'd be perfect, right? Now, listen, you know that's not what's going to happen, but in your heart, you're just so excited and passionate. You have this zeal, but to, try, to find out, man, that it wasn't actually ended up being based in much truth at all. That if I look back to my excitement that was happening in those, those first moments, in those first hours, and then looking back on it now and saying, man, this thing was going to last for probably about 30 hours more than we hoped. You know, my, my passion did begin to run out a little bit. And I think that's the truth about passion and about zeal, is that when it's focused on the wrong thing, when it's focused on the passion itself, on the zeal itself, it will not last. It cannot last. You will get tired. So think through whatever those passions are for you. Let's just let's make it very practical. So, okay, say if you're into sports, some volleyball players here, right? Some football players here. There's uh, some, I'm guessing there's some engineering students here. Yep, good job. <laughs> right? There's some electricians in the room. There's teachers in this room. There's lawyers in this room. Whatever it is, if, if you make that the thing, if that passion is the only thing that you're living for, if that's the passion that you hope sustains you, it's not going to happen. You will hate your job. You will hate your major. You will hate all of this within the next 30 days. It's not going to work. How many of you freshmen already changed your major since you got here? Right? It's been a day. I changed my major five times. <laughs> Still got out in four years, so don't laugh. 
the things that you are passionate about, if they stop there, if they stop on themselves, they're gonna fade away and you're gonna move on to the next thing and you're just gonna be a person who is consistently and constantly chasing the next passion. You're just going after the next thing that you think is going to fulfill you and it won't. Okay. Do not be slothful in passion, in zeal, in your love for God. Cultivate this thing. Okay. Cultivate this passion you have for God. Spend time with him. Be here. Be engaged. Read your Bible. We'll get more into this in just a moment. But cultivate your zeal for God. Wherever, whatever your story is, however long you've been a Christian, if you don't consistently spend time engaging with your faith, asking hard questions, getting around gospel-centered community, it's going to fade away like anything else in your life. I guarantee it. Okay. So the rest of Paul's... Uh, 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 the second half of, of what Paul's going to share here, I think he builds off of his own experience. So in Galatians 1, 11 through 17, if you want to turn there, you can. If not, just follow along. Galatians 1, 11, 17, Paul's talking about his own story. And he says this, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in my Judaism beyond many of my own age, among my own people. Ready? So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my people. But when he who had set me apart before I was born who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. There's nothing else that need to be said to Paul. We see this, so Paul's speaking from experience. He's like, listen, if, if you're talking about zeal, if you're talking about passion, then I was the king of zeal and passion. As evidenced by the fact that I believed so much in what I thought I was doing that I was willing to slaughter innocent men and women for that fact. And Paul was missing out on a truth that was greater than themselves and he settled in exactly what he thought he knew and did not pursue God until... Jesus just came and slapped him upside the head on a road to Damascus, blinded that guy and said, you're going to be mine. Okay. So I don't think all of us are going to get that moment, right? Not many of you are going to be walking down San Francisco today and, and a giant beam of light is going to come and speak to you. If it happens, let me know. That sounds awesome. Try and get an iPhone. So, if that moment's not always going to come, and we, we have then this responsibility, I think, to continue to go beyond just these fleeting passions and move into a more robust, fervent life with God. And then he gives us the way that this happens in verse 11 and part B. He says, uh, be fervent in spirit. So fervency literally means full of zeal. So listen, there's, what we're doing, we're not trying to destroy passion or zeal. Fervency is, it's saying be fervent, have passion, it's good. But where is it directed? That's the question for you, okay? Where is your ultimate passion, affection, desire? Where is that directed? Because that will influence who you serve, how you serve, okay? Be fervent in spirit. So, the, so here's the deal. 
If we're worried about everything that we do and where our passions are going to lie based on this problem that we just don't know all the answers all the time, right? So Paul didn't know. He didn't have the truth. The Jews, they thought they were making good decisions, but they did not have the whole truth. Here's the thing. The Spirit of God has the whole truth. He is the truth. He is the source of knowledge. He is the source of good. And so when you place your passion, when you redirect those passions, those zeals, those things in your life, like, man, this is, this is who I am. This is where I'm going. This is what I want. When you take all of that energy and say, okay, this is going to God, you're finally putting it in the one place that will never change. You're finally putting it in the one place where true knowledge is found. And so it's not going to be fleeting. You're not going to, listen, you're not going to move on to the next passion next week. You're not going to be changing majors all the time because you're allowing things to be reoriented through the right lens of God first. Okay. This is a, this is a tough thing for us. Be fervent in spirit. Pursue him. Look to him first. Um, this, there's, there's a few warnings, even, is, even as I say this, and some stuff that we were praying even about before service began. There's some warnings in this, in this call to direct your passion to Jesus. Okay? And, the, and the first one for me is that um, this can sometimes be nothing more than kind of a bumper sticker line. Okay? Right? Be on fire for Jesus. Be, on, be passionate for Jesus. So what, what does that mean? I remember being at a conference in San Diego, and, and we were there, and, and man, the guy up there was just bringing it. I mean, just, just bringing it, was getting after it. And in the moment, man, my, my emotions, they were just going, and I was moving. I was like, man, something's, something's going on. And he's like, be on fire for Jesus. Be on fire for Jesus. And he's just saying it over and over and over until you're like, I'm on fire. You know, and <laughs> be on fire for Jesus. And, and I tell you, I walked out of there, and I just kind of felt the same as I walked out. It's not like I just walked out, and then all of a sudden, there was just this rampant service that was just flowing from me. I was just looking at all these people I can go care for. My, my fear is, is that we can just, we can make, man, direct your passion towards Jesus, towards the Spirit of God. We can, we can make that kind of this just uh, emotive, kind of let's rah-rah, go get it moment for us that will not last either. That's not, what's, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying be fervent in spirit, so get really, really excited and go do one thing and then get tired and then move on. Don't allow God to be the next thing that you do. Hear me. Don't let God be the next thing that you do. See, so we, we, we treat God like this all the time, and this is kind of my second warning. This is that this type of thing can easily create somewhat of a divide for us, and we talk about this a lot here. Because I think it's just so prevalent in our culture is that we, we make God time and we make non-God time. And so God in the midst of your week becomes the next thing you're doing. And so class tomorrow, that's not God time. But Sunday at church is God time. And so you're doing your God thing at least once a week or maybe you go to a small group, whatever it is. And so you've got your God time, you've got your non-God time and this is the way you operate on a weekly basis. That's, listen, you're just treating God like another one of your passions that you will rotate through in your life. That's not the way this works. What's doing, when you do that, you're allowing yourself to be the lens for the way that you do and see the world. What the Bible calls you to, hear me, what the Bible calls you to is that you would allow the Spirit of God to be the lens with which you do and see the world. That is a significant difference. You begin to see all of your actions in different lights. 
You begin to see your future in a different way. You begin to be able to see the people that you spend time with in a different way. You begin to see the people that you care for, the people that you desire, the, the, the men that you want to be with, the women you want to be with. You begin to see these things in, in a different lens as we pursue and move this passion towards God and not towards other things of this world. Okay? Don't let the passion of itself overtake Jesus. And, and it sneaks in there all the time for us. Um, but we, we, need to, we need to be careful. But, but here's the good thing. All the things that you desire in this world, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you they're going to happen for you. In fact, a lot of them won't. Okay? A, a lot of the aspirations that you have, listen, not all of them are going to work out. That's just the reality of this world. There are things where you will not be able to do. Okay? There's tons of stuff I cannot do as much as I'd like to. So as much passion that you can conjure up doesn't mean that it's all available. What it does mean, though, is it's all going to happen in a better way in God. C.S. Lewis has this quote, and he says, Aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you'll get neither. Okay. Aim at heaven, and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you'll get neither. In other words, if you're living for just the passions of this world, and not something bigger, if not Jesus, not the Holy Spirit, not his call... If you're doing that, you're going to miss everything. But if you're focused on Jesus, if your lens moves from yourself being the determiner for everything in your life, and you move and you bring in the Spirit, now your lens is Him, everything else gets thrown in. If you serve God, you will naturally serve man. You will naturally experience, you will naturally glorify God, experience the joy and freedom that comes from relationship, and you will naturally let the world know that they need to know how great this guy is. Aim at him, and the rest kind of comes in. Okay. There's no breakdown of this. And if, and if I could, um, this is just a little nugget for you students start, starting out here. And actually, for all you students. And, and you know what? For all you employees, if you're working, I, here, classroom attendance, work attendance, is just as important as Sunday worship attendance. Okay? And this is not, I don't say this from a sense of like, that your parents didn't put me up to this, okay? Like, make sure they go to class. You know, I don't, your parents don't sound like that, I'm sure, but. Um, God cares about it all, guys. God cares about everything you do. If you think that this moment right now is more important to God than you at 9 o'clock sitting in RWS 100 or whatever your classes are called. That's one of the classes I was in. Then, then you've missed Romans 12, 1 and 2. You've missed the first two verses that are the foundation for this whole love series. That all of your life is a worship to God. Everything you do is a worship to God. If you want to love him, if you want to live out the implications of gospel, you have... Everything is just as important. I mean, when I, when I was in college, I, I skipped a lot of class, okay? I lived two minutes from the beach. Class was a 20-minute drive and 30 minutes looking for parking and a 10-minute walk to class. It sounded like not a great deal. Or I'd skip that. You know, I'd skip that a lot because I was really involved with Camps Crusade for Christ. And so I would skip class to go to events or to table or to do these different things. And listen, there's nothing wrong with events and tabling. They're good. I mean, I made a commitment. 
God, God wanted to teach me things in those classes that I'll never get a chance to learn again. You see, I, I was leaving one commitment to do something that I thought was more holy. There is nothing more holy than another thing. Class is just as holy as this moment. We've got to get that. Because it, it impacts far more than class. Employee, listen, going to work, just working. I mean, just showing up, doing whatever it is you do at your job, just as important as you raising your hands here on Sunday morning. Okay. You working in such a way that God is glorified, that you experience the joy and love that comes with relation with him, and that the people would know you doing that is just as holy and beautiful to God as a 10-hour quiet time. Whatever, listen, it's all for him. And my fear is, is that if we just, if we, if we leave today and we just say, listen, go be on fire for God. Just go be passionate about God. You're going to go and just do hyper-spiritual things for the next week, and then you'll return to whatever you're doing yesterday. That's not what the gospel calls us to when it tells us to love. It's far more robust. It's far bigger. And it falls under this idea here, serve the Lord. And so we'll land with this, serve the Lord. And what, what does this actually look like? How do you serve the Lord with everything in your life? When we were at the hospital, um, the nurses at, at FMC, is it anyone work? Who works at FMC here? Anyone? I know there's people. That, okay, you guys are being shy. Where's Jake? Jake came over. Anyway, a handful of people that work at FMC. That place is insane. They are the most amazing nurses I've ever been with. And we had this little thing where you would push this button on a controller. And if you wanted anything in the world, you push that button, and then a nurse would kind of come into the room and say, okay, what can I do for you? Okay. Now, we have this tendency to view service of God through that light. Okay? That God is going to kind of push a button on you and say, okay, I'm activating you for a moment. I want you to go serve me. Okay, so even you showing up to church today was kind of this act of service. He pushed that button on you this morning at 9.30, and it was probably your alarm. It said, get out of bed. It's time to go to church, okay? We often have this understanding of service where God's just going to say, okay, I need you to do this one thing. Go do it, and then you're serving God, and then the rest of your time is up to you. Again, service is holistic. Every minute, every day, everything you do, serving God, okay? The way you think, the way you breathe. He breathed, and that's a weird thing to think about. Everything you do is service unto you and to him. And so I thought through three, three parts of this gospel-centered, this lens of the spirit, mind, um, heart, and body. So um, if you want to serve God, right, with your mind, listen, continue to learn. Read the Bible, right? Sit down with other people and have conversations about who he is. But also sit down and have conversations about other things. Learn, grow. Talk about stuff happening in our world. Talk about why our culture is terrible at love. Talk about why our culture is on and on. Listen, have conversations. Continue to learn. Continue to grow in everything, not just God things. It's all sacred. It's all for him, okay? Mind, body, or sorry, heart. Do things that stir your affections for Jesus. Do things that get your heart going, 
okay? And do them a lot. Not just for Jesus, don't just stir your affections for Christ. What just kind of gives you joy? There's things that God has put inside you, has put inside me. He's like, go do these that you would walk in joy. Do them a lot. Make time for them in your week. Cultivate this thing. Don't just expect it to happen. Don't just walk and think, okay, I'm just, man, I'm not doing anything that makes me joyful, but I'm just going to be joyful. Does it make sense? Okay. Orient your time. Cultivate these realities in your mind, in your heart, and in your body. Okay? And Ezekiel, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Okay, so everything you do in this life physically as you move things, right, as you serve people, as, as, you, as you go to your job and you're clicking on a keyboard or you're, I, I, whatever it is you do, do it well. Serve God. There, there, there's no button that God's calling on you today. It says, okay, boop, this, it's this one thing. It's all of your life, mind, heart, and body. Do it all unto him. Make it real practical with Verity uh, in labor this week. I was able to serve her as she was in labor. Was, I, I spent hours upon hours reading every possible book I can get my hand on about what it meant to be a good partner during labor. I mean, just reading stuff that I will, I've, I don't, I've already forgotten. I don't even know, right? But I spent time learning and reading and getting to, getting to know when this happened, it means this. When this happens, don't say this, right? I mean, it's just on and on, right? Don't joke so much. She will hit you. I mean, it's just on and on. And so the way I could serve her, even with my mind, is to be able to just say, I mean, I'm going to learn, I'm going to grow, and become the best possible birth partner for you for this process, okay? With, with my heart, man, just to make my love for her known as often as possible. So we're in there, I mean, the words, I mean, I've never been so fluffy and emotional in my life. I mean, you get in there and I was just crushing it, right? I mean, it was, it, it was love actually on steroids, okay? I mean, I was killing it in there with my compliments. But it was just all stuff that was in here, okay? I was letting my love for her be made known. The affections of my heart constantly being made known to her, okay? Not just in, not, listen, not in, she wouldn't do something and then I would say, oh, and I love you because you, I just, I just loved her. Do that, okay? And, and then um, with my body, man, it was just, you know, my, I still have cramps in my hands from how deep I was getting on the back rub, right, the shoulder rub, the hand rub, the foot rub, the, I mean, just rub, 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 rub. It was just like, oh, I mean, anything I could do physically to make her feel better, was a way to serve her. Go and get her something. And I'm crutching through the hospital, and I'm like, I'm carrying like stuff in my shoulders, you know, like this, and the nurses are just staring at me. I swear they're actually good nurses. And, uh, and, and, this, and this whole deal, anything I could possibly do with all that I am to make her know she is loved, she is important, and what she's doing is valuable. That's how you serve God. Anything in your life that you can do, that he would be glorified. That's how you serve him. Anything in your life, the way you speak, the way you think, how you're cultivating your own character, the way you engage at work, the way you engage at school, who you sit with, who you don't sit, on and on and on. Everything you do is an act of service unto God. But you need to put on the right lens. 
Stop seeing yourself as the lens with which you will define what those things are and put in the Spirit of God to determine what are those things. Get into the Word, read, learn, grow, and become the best servant of God you can possibly be. And as you do so, God will be glorified. You will experience joy, and your passions will be fulfilled in greater ways than you understood previously. And the world will know that Jesus came. The best example we have of this, Matthew 20, 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, (coughs) and to give his life for the ransom of many. We need not look much further than Jesus himself to say, what does this service thing really look like? Get in there, read the Gospels, spend time, engage with what Jesus did. How did he talk to people? How did he serve people? How did he consider people? On and on and on. And you have your answer of what it looks like for you to serve God today. You have your answer for what it looks like for you as a student to start your time at NAU and say, I'm going to serve God. You have your answer for what it means for you to start a new job. What does it mean for me to serve God here? Because it's, of, it's everything. It's all of life. It's all of you. Just look at the way Jesus lived. Look at the way Jesus loved. And then look at the way Jesus died. Here's the truth. A lot of your service is going to have to be pretty sacrificial. It's not always going to be easy. And we want it to be. We want this, this whole service thing to just be like, yeah, I'm going to serve where it's convenient. No, no, no. Gospel-centered service of God tends to be sacrificial. It's going to take up some time. It's probably going to take up some energy. But God will be glorified. You'll experience joy and the passions that you never thought it possible, and the world will know. Let me land with this quote from Martin Luther King. He said, anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. Let grace and let love be the motivators. Those things only come from Jesus. Okay? Grace and love in their purest forms only come from Christ himself. And so don't try and, don't leave this room saying, I'm on fire, I'm gonna do it. Go to Jesus. Go to God. Spend time with him. Engage with him. And the rest just kind of trickles down and falls into place. Let us be a church that in response, that we get, we go to God, we get the gospel, but in response to it, there is rampant service going on. That when I ask you, how is your week, and you begin to tell me, oh, I did this, and I did this, and I did this, that all of it, you would begin to see, man, those were moments of service, not just random moments of my life. That the things that you do as you walk from here back to campus, if you did that, the things that you're gonna do as you go from here to lunch, all of it, an act of service unto God. It's a heavy weight, but an incredible opportunity. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for grace. We thank you for love. God, these things um, have moved us and shaped us and motivated us. If we're here, God, as I call on the name of Christ as my Savior and as other people in the room do, God, that we have been so moved by grace and love, we, we couldn't even get the depths of how much that's already happened, but we just asked for more. We ask for more of you. We thank you that as we look at Christ
we see the perfect example of a man who served well. It wasn't just about the cross, albeit that was a fantastic moment. It wasn't just about the resurrection, although that too was great. It wasn't just about the miracles. It wasn't just about, it. God, it was everything you did that we can look to and say, that's what it means to come and to serve. God, thank you for being our example, but also thank you for being the one who gives us capability to do this. So Holy Spirit, we pray your power. We ask that you would move us and shape us, transform us to be more like Jesus, that as we seek to serve you, that we would then in turn, in response to that, just as a natural response, just serve others in this world. God, now as we sing, may we see this, this is, this is a service unto you. As we sing, as we give, as we pray, all of it to serve you, Lord. All of it to glorify you, God. All of it, God, that we could understand the depths of the joy and the passions that you've given us. God, all of it that the world may know and see that you are good and faithful and Savior. Lord, so bless us this morning as we sing. God, incline our hearts to you and make us servants of the Most High. It's your name we pray. Amen.